you're listening to the one and only Writing Wall podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Hawks, and this podcast is for all of us in the writing community. Every second and fourth Saturday of the month, an indie author, poet, or writer may be featured right here at 6 p.m. From book review segments to introducing listeners to local writers from my very own community right here in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, I'm looking forward to highlighting the indie community everywhere. If you would like to participate, reach out to me on Twitter at The Writing Wall or on Instagram using the handle at writingsonthewall85. Because everyone has a story, I want to hear yours. Welcome to this special bonus episode of the Writing Wall Podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Hawks, and we have a very special guest with us here this Saturday evening. Her name is Bryn McLean. If you've tuned into the podcast, then you know Bryn is part of our Mountaintop Stop event that's happening September 24th right here in Allegheny County, Sparta, North Carolina. And if you would like to know more about this event, because no worries, it is COVID-friendly, you can visit the website at www.alleghenywriters.com. And if you plan to attend and you find us on Twitter or you find us on Instagram, then please use the hashtag ComeUpCoolDown or hashtag Appalachian Enclave, hashtag MountaintopStop. Next Saturday, we will have our regular podcast on the 26th with Writer of the Week, B.D. West. Her book is titled Winter of Wolves and you can find her on Twitter and now on IG. That's right, she's new to Instagram, but she's there. And she'll be right here on the Writing Wall podcast Saturday. Saturday evening at 6 p.m. September the 26th. Now help me welcome Mountaintop Stop author Bryn McLean. Hey Bryn, how are you doing? And thank you for being part of the Writing Wall blog and podcast. Oh my gosh. Hey, this is quite an honor. I have just like been so psyched out for so long to get to do this. So thank you. I know you're coming to Allegheny County on the 24th, just a few days from now. So could you please tell listeners a little bit about your book? I have my calendar out and I'm marking on my refrigerator, really, Stacy. And I've got the days marked off. I'm counting them down. So I cannot wait to get there. Let me just say that this is the third novel I wrote, but the first to be published, okay? And let me say further <laughs> that I am a 27-year overnight success. <laughs> I'm one of these writers Stacy, who never gave up. All right, so I just want to preface Mama Bone with that because it's the book I was put on this earth to write. The other two, I'm going to walk away from them. People have asked, are you going to go back to them? No. But this book, One Good Mama Bone, is part of my life's work to be here. So what is One Good Mama Bone about? One Good Mama Bone is, at its base, a story that celebrates mothers motherhood. It's the story really of two mothers. The story of a human, a woman named Sarah Creamer, who is dirt poor, underscored, dirt poor, who grew up thinking she did not have a mama bone. That is maternal instinct. Why? Because her mother, when Sarah was six years old, said to her, you ain't got you one good mama bone in you, girl. 
And it set up this thinking in little girl Sarah. So she grows up, falls in love, marries a man. He cheats on her. Anyway, with her very best friend. And this is in 1944. This other woman's husband is off at war and conceives and Sarah delivers the child. And Sarah Creamer alone is left to take care of this baby. Dirt, poor, thinks she doesn't have a mama bone. Now, listen, she could have walked away, right? She could have walked away because it's not her child. But when I was writing the book and I saw her pick up that child and take care of that child, I said, oh my gosh, this is a woman I love. This is a woman who's made of the right stuff. And so Stacy, this is a story of Sarah Creamer's learning to give herself permission to change the narrative of her life. And no longer does she think she has no mama bone, but it's about her learning to step into that. And it comes with the help of the second mother in the novel, a mama cow <laughs> named Mama Red, who comes into her life and teaches her all things mother. So that's what this story is. How long did it take you to write one good mama bone? Forever. Listen, I am a slow writer. I wish I could just dash off a little draft, you know, and work, but I'm one of these people that it's kind of organic with me. I don't know, I don't outline, and so I just kind of get going. I do know, however, what I think of as the stake in the ground to hit. And for this novel, the stake in the ground was for the moment that Sarah Creamer would know she has a mama bone. Because why else, Stacy, are we taking this journey? Why else, you know, if this doesn't happen? What I do is, I mean, I started the story, I knew where I was going, but how in the world am I gonna get there, you know? Whoa, whoa, whoa. So how long did it take? Ah, shoot, <laughs> let's just say years and years. I wish I could pick up the needle and move it and write faster, but it takes me years. It's like this marinating, it's like this seasoning inside of me, Stacy, to do this. Who was Mama Red and how did she become part of your life? Okay, so I'm probably gonna get emotional here. Who was Mama Red? So Mama Red was a real Mama Cow who lived on my family farm in Anderson, South Carolina. I had the privilege of meeting her. November 5th, 2008, was visiting my daddy and it was in the midst, Stacy, of what's known as a weaning. When mama cows and babies are separated, usually age six to eight months, why? Because the farmers are hoping the mamas are pregnant again and they need all of that nutrition for their new babies. So I was visiting my daddy, it was a Sunday afternoon, it's in the midst of the weaning and I heard the mama cows and the babies began to make these guttural cries, but I didn't let those sounds get inside me. I just went on my life. I probably cooked supper for my daddy, went on to bed, blah, blah. About five in the morning, the next morning, uh, those sounds woke me up. I got dressed and I go out in the pasture and at the corner fence are standing these mama cows crying, bawling, guttural, oh, for their babies. About 30 yards up the grassy lane, the baby's doing the same, and there was this back and forth. And those sounds got in my bones. I began to quiver. Understand, though, that I grew up on that farm, Stacy. So I was exposed to these sounds my entire life. 
But I will tell you, I never heard them until that morning. And there was a mama cow in the deep corner fence whose eyes were cut at me, I felt, pleading to bring her baby back. And I walked over to her, and this happened within 30 seconds. This is not like I was standing there for a long, long time. I mean, it just, I stood there, I heard the sounds, and I felt summoned to her. So I go to this cow in the deep corner fence, and so I, I said, sweetheart, I can't bring your baby back, but I can tell your story. Because quite honestly, that second novel that I'd written was also a story that I intended to honor mothers, but I did not pull it off. I wanted actually to honor my own mother, and she died in the writing of that book. And I was too broken of a human being to pull off any kind of story. And this was in 2001, so I just put the book up. So understand how much time had passed, 2008. I knew that the missing piece for the motherhood story were these cows standing in front of me. And I made her a promise. And that cow, that cow in the deep corner fence who had this mottled face, that cow became my mama red. My daddy called me up a few weeks after that event, say like in December of that year, and he said, Brand, don't get mad at me, but, which is not a good way to start a conversation. <laughs> he said, Brand, don't get mad at me, but that mama cow, you've lost your mind over. I'm taking her to the sale tomorrow. And for people that don't know what that means, that means, and I'll just say the word, although it's a terrible word, the, the slaughterhouse. I began to cry and I said, Daddy, you can. He said, Brand, I have to. And I said, Daddy, you don't. He said, Brand, she's old, she's 16. I said, Daddy, you cannot sell my mama red, you cannot. And he said, Brand, and this is just a fact of life for small farmers, I need the money. And I said, Daddy, how much? And he said, $1,000. And I bought mama red for my dad. And I will tell you this, that I told her that she could live out her life on the family farm, which she did. But July 22nd, that just passed, she passed. She was 28 years old. Mama Red changed my life. I changed her life too. I mean, this book is a very personal story to me. It's a story based on a promise I made to her because I could see the kind of attachment she had for her babies. And so that is the reason that cows are in my novel. People go, Brand, Brand, what in the world, girl? Would you write a story about a cow for? And mercy me, it's on the cover. Have you lost your mind? What, what, did you not do any marketing to say, you know, are cows, you know, favorite animals? I mean, how about a horse, Brand? Did you, how about a dog? Come on. And it's based on this promise I made to this cow. And I'm gonna tell you something right now. For me to write my kind of books, I have to be chosen. And that's what keeps my butt in the chair for those years that we've been talking about. And I feel that Mama Red chose me and I her. And so I appreciate so much your question about who she was. The outpouring of love has been amazing. Just today, I got a card in the mail, a sympathy card from a book club that I met with recently about Mama Red that they all had signed. And so Mama Red has impact. Mama Red is part of the heart of that novel, right? I mean, she just is, she just flat is. And so uh, thank you for that question. I appreciate it so much. Ginger Collins, Allegheny Writers founder. She said that you mentioned food a lot in the book. So I'm curious, what is your favorite food or writerly snack as we say here? Is it a Southern dish? 
If I have to take, if there's a Bryn McLean dish that's gonna go somewhere, okay? It's gonna be a homemade mac and cheese. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is, in fact, I'm gonna make it tomorrow. <laughs> it's kind of my mama's and my grandmama's combined, but I love that. I know it's not the healthiest thing you can eat, but that's what I like. Now, I will tell you that in the writing of the novel, I became a vegetarian. I had flirted with it my entire life, to be honest with you. So it's not something that was brand new to me, but I totally stepped over the line. I no longer eat meat and haven't since August 10th, 2010. So I've been 10 years this way. And so I don't miss it one iota, but I do love my mac and cheese. And today I bought some <laughs> some Hershey's with almonds. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm bad. But I do love mac and cheese. And I love, I guess I just love, love all pasta. <laughs> I'm kind of a carbaholic, to be honest with you. <laughs> I made some fried okra last weekend. Mercy, I could just live, just live in it. <laughs> and, of course, french fries. I mean, you say fries. I love french fries, too. Making me hungry, girl. <laughs> what is the best comment you have received so far about one good mama bone? Oh, man, I'm going to have to survey my head on that. One pops in right now. I had an, an email from a reader who said that Sarah Creamer makes me want to be better than I am. And I cried when I read that because that reader voiced what I felt, too, but had never put words to it. To Sarah Creamer because I'm telling you, people say, are you Sarah Creamer? Who'd you base Sarah Creamer on? I said, oh mercy. Listen, I am so far from Sarah Creamer. I mean, she is saintly. She is godly. She's good. I mean, if my husband had cheated on me with my very best friend and I didn't feel I had a mama bone, I was dirt poor, I don't know that I would have accepted the child. Are you kidding me? I mean, it just shows. You know, what I wanted to do in that novel is this. I wanted to show Sarah Creamer's magnificence. She doesn't know she has it. You know, in the opening, when she does what she does with that child, the reader knows, the reader comes to know, hey, she's got a mama bone in her. Sarah Kramer doesn't know she has one, but that's that was part of the joy and the beauty and the love of writing this novel, was for this light bulb to come on in Sarah Kramer, for her to see her own magnificence. I just think she's an amazing human being. I love her to pieces. I don't think anyone realizes what they have within themselves until they're faced with a very difficult situation like Sarah Kramer has been faced with, with her husband having an affair with her best friend and having a baby. That's some tough stuff. As writers, we really want to challenge our characters as much as we challenge ourselves, and we want to see them grow as the story forms, right? See, okay, thank you for saying that, because people go, Brand, you know, your book has some rough stuff in it, girl. Whoa, mercy, it's hard. I say, okay, none of us ever will know what we're capable of until the screws start to turn. And that's what you have to do, in my opinion, as a fiction writer, you've got to turn those screws. You've got to make it hard. Because what I wanna see and what I'm interested in as a writer is what that person or what my people are capable of. I mean, Ike Thrasher would never have known what he was capable of until he got into this mess. And so it's a joy to me to see what characters are capable of. And you won't know if it's just a cakewalk. You will never know. They will never know. You gotta put the screws to them. 
How do you cope with bad reviews and do you have any advice for other writers and authors that kind of struggle with that? When I see on say Goodreads or Amazon that I've got another review and how I know is because the number's gone up, right? And then I go down and I look at newest say on Goodreads and before I do, I really do just say thank you. Just say thank you. Because A, they read the book, they had a reaction to the book, might not been, you know, what I wanted, but I try to live in gratitude for it all. So you actually are one of the first traditionally published authors that I have had on the podcast here. And a lot of the writers that I talk to are indie authors. They publish themselves. They go to a publisher or more famously the Amazon KDP route. So I'm just dying to ask, did you consider self-publishing before being traditionally published? Not seriously. Now, let's just say that it didn't happen for me and I strongly believed in the book. Then I would have, yes. Yes, I just was very, very fortunate. It was Pat Conroy, the literary giant, Pat Conroy, who published me. I tried to get published in New York. Are you kidding me? They didn't know what to do with a cow. Oh, Lord have mercy. Huh? I had an agent tell me one time. She said, ha! She goes, well, does the cow talk? No, no, darling, the cow doesn't talk. But anyway, I gave it a shot for about a year to try to get published in New York, to try to get an agent, but honey, it was not going anywhere. And I attended this kind of talk with this major, major literary agent in Spartanburg, South Carolina at Hub City Books, which is a wonderful bookstore and a wonderful publisher. And she said, and this was in 2013, she goes, Eli, listen, New York is just passing by a lot of Southern writers, especially writers of small towns, which boom, 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 that's me, me, me. (laughs) And she said, but the beautiful thing is the rise of the small press. And when she said that, I felt this energy through my body. And because I had been feeling defeated. Afterwards, I went over and I said, can you suggest some of these small presses? And she said, my client, Pat Conroy, has just started his own press because Southern writers were being passed over. It was Story River Books, and I had read some press on it. Two months after that, I mean, this just shows you how life, we're just all so connected. I was at a conference, another conference, and I ran across a guy named Jonathan Haupt, who was the executive editor for the University of South Carolina Press, and I had read that he was administering Pat Conroy's Story River books. I summoned the nerve to say to him, I've got a novel. He said, what's it about? And I told him and he said, send it to me. And the rest is history. But I knew I'm gonna tell you something right now and tell everybody who's listening here. When I sent him my novel, when I hit send, you know, on your computer, I knew I was stepping into what had been set up for me. I knew it, flat out knew it, that this is it. And it turned out to be the case. So I got very, very fortunate in that Pat Conroy not only read my book, but wanted to publish my book. So that's how One Good Mama Bone got published. It was because of Pat Conroy. Is there something you hope readers will take away from having read One Good Mama Bone? Nothing intellectually. I just hope that people feel something. And I don't really care what it is. I'm not going to dictate that. But I, in my writing space, I have written on the little slanted wall over me, wake us up. I want people to feel something. And so that would be the biggest honor for me is that you, is that you feel something. 
One question I have to ask, because I got asked this once too, what do you think happened to the characters after the story ended? Oh, man. If I had a dollar for every minute, I've thought about that. Wow, I've thought about, you know, Luther, what it would take for him to get up off the ground. I've thought about Sarah and Maddie. I don't know about Luther, but I tell you, I can swear by something, okay? Sarah develops a wonderful friendship with a woman named Mildred Dobbins, who is the wife of my villain antagonist, Luther. They're from completely different social classes, but they become really, really good friends. And I could swear that after this book is over, they are amazing friends. That somehow their money and class differences are put aside and that they are like buddies. They have each other's backs and I just know it. I know that their friendship will grow. I could swear by that. I know that little at Emerson Bridge, my little boy in the novel, Sarah's the little baby who was born that she raises. I named him Emerson Bridge. The reason I named him Emerson Bridge is when I was in college in Anderson County, South Carolina, where the book is set, I was riding some back roads, which I love to ride. And I passed this road called Old Emerson Bridge Road. And I said, oh my gosh, Emerson Bridge. If I ever have a little boy, I'm gonna name him Emerson Bridge. I have no biological children, but I have Emerson Bridge and he is a special little boy. A lot of people tell me that he's their favorite character in the novel, that that's sweet, precious Emerson Bridge. And I've even had emails that readers beg me to please write a novel. They want me to do a sequel, but the sequel they want, I mean, they even tell me what they want. <laughs> they want me to catch up with Emerson Bridge as an adult. They want to see him functioning as an adult. I don't know that I'll do that, but I know that he is a fine, upstanding man. I know that about him. So that's what I'll tell you. Earlier, you mentioned that you are working on book two, and since it will not be a sequel to One Good Mama Bone, would you share with listeners what it will be about? I can. You know, I'll preface it by saying, after writing this book, and falling so deeply in love with all of these characters in One Good Mama Bone. And by the way, I have to fall in love with even my villain. Everybody, everybody, I love deeply. I didn't know what it would take for me to do that again, because if I don't do that again, I can't write a novel. I have done that again, and this novel has chosen me. Remember I said that I'd written that other novel about motherhood and it was not any good, and then in 2008, I came across Mama Red? Well, there was that period of years in between that, that this book that I'm writing right now, that that subject matter called to me. And it's based on a real woman named Eula Bates, who lived in South Carolina. She was born in 1898, died in 1980. And in 1951, she refused to give, and she lived around the Aiken, Augusta area in South Carolina, a little bitty town called Jackson. And this was in a time when the government had chosen a quarter of a million acres to build the Savannah River hydrogen bomb plant just on the outskirts of her property. It's the nation's largest use of eminent domain in the time of peace. I interviewed 40-something people who'd been thrown off their land, displaced. I am building a novel around the one story, and gosh knows I heard tons of them, building a novel around the one story I can't shake, and it's 
Eula Bates and her brother. In 1951, the federal government said, we don't need your whole farm. It was 30 acres on the outskirts of the property. But what we do need to do is to build a four-lane blacktop through the middle of it to transport workers from North Augusta, like 30,000 cars a day going into this bomb plant to build the hydrogen bomb to go up against the Russians is what it was about. We need to go through your farm, darling. It's going to run this four-lane blacktop through your farm. Now here, sign on the dotted line here, please, sweetness. And she said not just no, but blank no. They condemned her property in August of 51. Here come the bulldozers. She's been watching them. They're coming closer and closer and closer. She and her brother got shotguns out there and held it on the bulldozer. This is a true story. Now, I'm not making this up. They call the cops, of course. Cops come. So what did the cops do? Okay, you ready? Are you ready? Here's what they did with them. They hauled both Eula and her brother George to 50 miles away to the state capital of Columbia, to the state mental asylum, declared them both mentally incompetent and kept them for 16 years. I'm building a novel around that woman and her brother. Her life didn't turn out so good. It just went from one bad thing to the next. It just was messed up, messed up. It kept being messed up, messed up. So because I'm a fiction writer and I've got the power to use my imagination, right? I am picking up Eula at the end of her life and I'm rewriting the end of her life to bring her justice. Something she did not know in real life, but I am bringing Eula Bates justice. And now I'm going to turn it over to Bryn McLean, who is going to read an exclusive excerpt from her book, One Good Mama Bone, right here on the Writing Wall podcast. And I'll tell you what I'm going to read. It's the original opening of the book. It's the first time Sarah addresses Mama Red. There are parts at the end of the chapters when Mama Red gets on the scene where Sarah Creamer really confesses her whole life story to Mama Red. And it's the part I love the most. And so it's on page 70 in the book now. In honor of Mama Red, in memory of Mama Red, I'm just going to read the opening. And so I'm going to drop into Sarah Creamer's voice. And by the way, I did the audio book on this. People can hear my speaking voice. But here's how I imagine my Sarah talking. This is when Mama Red comes to her farm and Sarah has seen her do something particularly motherly. And Sarah already is learning from her and has gone inside the house to apply this learning to Emerson Bridge and has come back out, addresses this mother cow. You done started on your teaching of me with my boy. Can I tell you that girl? I don't know your name. What's your name? Mine's Sarah. I come back out here to thank you. I'm six days now into having to be his mama full on. But can I tell you something? I don't know how to be. I don't mean to be whispering, but them words, be a mama, they scare me. I'm lost. See, if me and you was a long piece of cloth, you'd be on one end with me clear across the whole wide world on the other, trying to hang on to a skinny piece of nothing. Because as good a mama as you are, I'm... I don't know how to be a mom. That was definitely one powerful excerpt and very touching too from One Good Mama Bone and Bren McLean. Bren, can you tell listeners and followers how they can follow you and find you on social media? Oh yeah. Okay, so I think my biggie, biggie, biggie is Facebook. 
Bren McLean, author, is right on there. On Instagram, I'm on there. It's uh, Bren McLean Books. And then I'm also on Twitter as Bren McLean. I also have a YouTube channel. And back in the day when Mama Red was alive, I did videos all the time. And those are some wonderful things to check out. If you want to find out more about Mama Red and see her and me together on my YouTube channel, Bren McLean. We truly appreciate all that you've shared with us here this evening and hope you've had a wonderful experience. It's certainly wonderful to host authors like you on the Writing Wall podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Stacy. This has just been a highlight for me. Like I said, I've just been waiting, waiting, waiting. I cannot wait to get up to your community. You, listen, I want to compliment you all on all of your efforts. I'm three and a half years now since the book's been published, and, and no one anywhere comes anywhere close to what you all have done. I mean, it's quite humbling and it's astounding, the work that you all have put into this. So thank you. Friend, thank you so much again for being here this evening and for being our writer of the week this week. It has been a pleasure getting to speak with you and a pleasure to spread the word about one good mama bone. And I certainly hope everyone that is in North Carolina, if you're in our area, in our region, please look us up on Facebook, Allegheny Writers. Follow them on Twitter, at Allegheny Write, and on Instagram, at Allegheny Writers. To learn more about this fabulous group and our Appalachian Enclave that we're making here in our Mountaintop Stop event this year featuring Bryn. Hopefully you'll get tickets to come up and cool down. That's it for me. Join us next Saturday, September the 26th, because I'm going to be talking exclusively to B.D. West, author of Winter of Wolves, and she is our next Writer of the Week, and she will make her debut on the blog Monday morning at 8 a.m. Have a wonderful weekend, folks, and we hope you've enjoyed this bonus episode of the Writing Wall podcast. Anytime I purchase a book, I always review, and if I really enjoy reading your work, rest assured, it may be shared here on this podcast with my listeners and followers. Of course, I will do so with permission from the author or authors first. Please like, follow, and share this information with other writers, and if you ever need a writer's lift, visit me on social media. Thank you all again for being here for this podcast. I look forward to hearing from you and learning more about the stories you weave.